The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week on Brummy Twirled. I just feel like if there was just some connective tissue, it would have been far more satisfying. I love that. The idea of her being like, he met some girl at a ski lodge. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, like, like. Just a mirror in the face, bro. When this boy meets world. What up, bros? What up, bros? And welcome to Broad Meets World. When it's Broad Meets World. Your Boy Meets World fan cast. I am Siege. And I'm Tony Curtis. What is going on, Toto? <laughs> I am very, very excited to be here with you today to discuss this episode. That's what's going on with me. Absolutely. This episode is season seven. I can tell now. Season seven. Already. <laughs> so then I'm like, for real season seven? For real season- Corey season seven? Season seven is going to be a journey. And, you know, honestly, I think it it's with our knowledge and our understanding of Pommy's world and what they go through and the more that we learn about how television shows are made and we meet the writers and the actors and all this other stuff. And we just kind of see like how sometimes the industry influenced the show itself, like the art at the end of the war. I find season seven is going to be a great think piece on how we got here. Because yep. when we think about the things that we know about Boy Meets World and what we loved about Boy Meets World, and then we see where we get to, yep. I'm like, huh. Because hmm. I realized, I, I, here's what I did. I looked at last week's episode i was listening to it you know to like find the social clips and i also listened to our finality of season six just to kind of get some framework and i realized one of the problems that we're having is boy meets world was set on the premise of a boy who doesn't know about the world and he's learning things as he goes sure and we were we were uh indentured to him because we were like i also don't know and i also am learning so i'm taking this journey with you that's like what really like made us 100 percent. our own confusion of the world around us was being reflected through the central character correct we have reached a place yep. to where Corey is no longer curious and therefore no longer really learning he is telling us and he seems to think that he has all the answers in a way that younger Corey didn't and i think that that's what's actually 
we're responding to as an audience of being like, what is going on? Who is this? What is this show? It went from, hey, boy meets world and real world scenarios to boy thinks he knows everything, follow his journey. And you're like, but I don't want to be with him. Bruh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think, I think you hit the nail on the head because now that we're at an age, even like if we're aging with the show, like as we were when we were first watching it, um, we are no longer learning along with Corey. All of the other characters in the audience now seems to be smarter than Corey. So he is no longer our avatar. We now have avatars through Sean, through Topanga, through these other characters who are more um, reflective of who we were at that age or who, like, uh, uh, you know, are are more realistic in a way. So Corey can't be our avatar. They are. And you know what? They are all annoyed with this dude. Therefore, we are all annoyed with this dude. And I don't think... That was coming through when they were first putting this together. Absolutely. All right. So I, I love what you said. But before we get, this is also a good episode to talk about that, like the thesis statement of Corey learning lessons and us sure. going along with him uh, and and where we are now as like a season seven episode. But before we get into that, I do want to talk about a legendary icon um, of the television space. We are recording this the day that Norman Lear died. Um, mm. For those of you who don't know, Norman Lear is a legendary TV producer and showrunner who um, gave us works like All in the Family, Maud, Sanford and Sons, Good Times, The Jeffersons, Different yeah. Strokes. Like, if you like television, Norman Lear is responsible for giving you sitcoms with a message, sitcoms that kind of helped pave the road for so many people and i was i would be bold enough to say we would not have tgif the way that we knew it without norman lear's uh uh laying the groundwork 100 percent. and i don't think you know modern audiences can understand the like filmography you just threw out like that imdb that you just threw out how popular all of those shows were and specifically how important a lot of those shows were to the black community who he not only gave a voice to but he also were able to paint in a compassionate light to the rest of america you know everyone fell in love with george jefferson not just black people so there was so much that was contributed to our culture through norman lair um you know the good times like uh painting i've walked into so many black people's houses (laughs) who have sugar shack in their house because of good times like it's such a cultural thing and so like um you know this is this is a big deal i think not just to television but specifically to like what we're talking about um you know to marginalized groups and how they're represented on television absolutely and what's crazy is janet jackson was on good times as a child mm-hmm. so this was not that long ago just to give you like a frame of reference janet jackson was on the show good times as a child and that's how long ago or how short of amount of time has it's actually been since television was like revolutionized by just the presence of black people being able to sh- share their stories 100 percent, 100 percent. 
So want to give some credit uh, to Norman Lear. Also, before we do, as we usually uh, tell you guys, reach out to us at rummysworld at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. You guys have been uh, very active. You've been active on all of our socials. Uh, that was the threads, the Instagrams, everything. A little later on in the show, we will read some of your questions and um, have conversations about it. But if you want us to talk about something that you have an ideas on, specifically with Boy Meets World or anything like that, reach out to us at brummeetsworld at gmail.com or at brummeetsworld on all of the social platforms. All of them. All of them. We own all of them. <laughs> we everywhere. Okay. So that said, TC, I think it's time that we get into this episode. Yeah, I think it's time we do because there's a lot to be said. <laughs> okay. So, um, guess this is the tell me about it <laughs> okay tell us about it Corey tries to save the day interjects in the lawrence's lives only to learn sometimes love can die tell us about it eric and jack are a joke so they fight the girls to regain their place only to end up getting punched in the face. We got a two court. I love it. <laughs> I was feeling singy. I was feeling musical. I guys. love it. I love it. Look at that. Oh, uh, you guys, this is season seven, episode two for love and apartments. Corey and Sean head to Pittsburgh to mend things between Topanga's parents, portrayed by a new real. Rihanna? How do you say that? <laughs> I kept calling her Rihanna. I know that's not her yeah. name, but you I don't call her Riri. <laughs> I call her Riri in all my notes. That works. <laughs> Riri, a new Riri and Zedaniah. Um, after brand some... new, brand new. <laughs> after some persuasive talk, they learn about Zedaniah's affair with a new woman named Marie. In a B storyline, Rachel, Angela, and Topanga challenge Jack and Eric to a wrestling match for the apartment's rights. The girls emerge victorious, leaving Eric vowing for revenge. Yep. That's what we got. <laughs> All right, let's talk about our new Riri and Jedediah in roll call. We get Marsha Cross um, as Rhiannon. Or yeah, Riri, very young Marsha Cross. And Mark Herlick as Jedediah. I actually, like, I've seen Mark around, and Mark was always one of those uh, that guys that I was like, you're good. You feel like television is where you belong. You got sure. a good face, good structure. Me good like hair. Yeah. yeah, good hair. And this television show loves hair. And Marsha and uh, Mark, they give us good hair. Yeah, they do give us good hair. <laughs> do they give us the characters that have been established throughout the course of this show? Uh, no. Is there any... Was there any discussion from anyone to say, hey, this is how we have written both of these characters prior. This is who they are now. It just doesn't feel like this was even the conversation that was happening on set. It feels like these two got hired and was like, hey, you're this girl's parents. That's it. Absolutely. By the way, this is two scripts ago. We met new people. Two, two scripts. scripts. <laughs> That's the sloppiness of season seven that we're getting into, by the way. They like, couldn't even bring Annette O'Toole back. Like, what? Like, it was two scripts ago. And it, I mean, like, again, it was season six and season seven. But still, I feel like somebody 
Like, y'all don't remember the table read? Like, <laughs> not only that, it's kind of irresponsible to set up a conflict around two people's marriages breaking up and not have contracts for those two characters to return to play those characters. So I'm actually going to say this. I'm going to say this to you now, and I will talk to you uh, off, off <laughs> camera about why I think this is relevant later. But I looked at season six finale um last week's episode and this episode and i realized it would work so much better if you do one thing and that is you remove jedediah from season six uh finale if you remove him because if you remember oh yeah watching it we were like who is this guy he's like he's a whole different type of a person that sure. we've got to know and his, his energy doesn't feel fatherly it doesn't feel uh Lawrencey. it doesn't feel um we're not um emotionally tied to him in any kind of way and if yeah. you remove that performance and you make it just to Penga's mother coming to town that is it that episode still works you can literally give um to Annette O'Toole all of his dialogue almost and it would still work if it's just Topanga's mother. And if you do that, then when we meet a new Topanga's father in this episode, it's fine. It's Again, absolutely fine. Bruh, sounds great. I'm already exhausted from the acrobats. <laughs> we have to do to try to make this shit work. I truly, if you don't have the ingredients for a sandwich, don't offer me a sandwich. If you don't have these characters lined up in a way that works with the story, don't give it to me. Give me something else. Why are they the main thing from season six when they were never introduced before the end of season six? And now we're still dealing with them in an irresponsible way because you handled it irresponsibly at the end of the season. I really don't know what was happening behind the scenes that made it so these two actors didn't return. I'm just saying as an audience member, binging this show if i were to go straight from the season six into season seven it would be such a like i don't know like i would be so like but remember we weren't away. serialized and we weren't um we weren't binging so uh, so i'm and uh, that's not an excuse by the way that's not an excuse because at excuse. the beginning of every premiere they do a flashback to the finale so it's no excuse because you are literally showing us flashbacks of actors you don't have i'm not <laughs> fighting against you and i'm not i i agree with you the only thing i was going to say is you were like i need you to bring back season six which i which i agree with but I do feel like there was a way to do this, but what you need to do is bring in Topanga. Topanga needs to be more involved in this storyline. I was gonna say, that's the thing. Like we're saying they should have done this. Should they should have, why are the parents even at Feeney's wedding? Why not just have Topanga got this news and we focus all that time on Topanga? Correct. And but but by the way, again, I, I will go back. And the only thing is, I know that we have to do. Boy Meets World. This is a show about Corey, and we've talked extensively about the fact that Corey does not need to be a good person, and I actually feel like in this episode, they show Corey's annoyingness uh, to be a fault, and they also have him learn a lesson. So, was, in this was, particular yeah. episode, I agree with it. However, I, yeah. you bring Topanga in to actually sell this storyline of her parents. That's it. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I know we're going to go through like some more specifics of the of the breakdown of the plot, but I, I just want to say that there were, they really had the opportunity 
to make up for the mess that was last week's episode. They yeah. really had an opportunity to take Corey's naivete and turn it into a lesson he desperately needed to learn and a lesson that I feel like a lot of like young college kids can relate to of you grow up watching Disney movies, you think love is a certain way, and then you have to come to terms with the reality of it. I feel like that is a great lesson for Corey to learn and for the show to focus on. But I just feel like they have made him so obnoxious that I don't, I, I'm, I'm having, I can't appreciate that lesson that they're trying to give. I can't because it's for a character that I think it's wasted on. I, here's the thing. I agree with you because first of all, let's talk about how we open up. We open up with Corey being like, well, first of all, we open up oh. with Sean being a little <laughs> bit like, hey, these are adults. We, I, like, I wrote down the dialogue because right. I just I had to write it down because not it sounded so cheesy to me the way the show actually opens with we're putting Topanga's parents back together. Corey, I know you think we could do anything, but we can't. Why not, Shawnee? Between the two of us, we can't, there's nothing we can't do. It just sounded like I realized my annoyance with the show is that it's sounding more and more like kid gets acquainted with the universe. The little mm. meta show they were using to make fun of Boy Meets World, now mm -hmm. that dialogue now sounds in line with this like actual canon dialogue. And that's right. the problem I have. But I, that's just a distraction. We can just focus on what they said. No, no, no. And I agree with you because here's what's funny is we interviewed Mark Fletman recently and he was like, there's nothing that these guys can't do. And I feel like that is what he, the writer's room heard, but they don't still have the same conviction that Mark had, and they don't understand how to put that on the page without saying just that. You yeah. know what I mean? And I like, just going back to it, Sean being like, hey, these are adults. <laughs> we don't get to play games with adults. And this is like real life things. Yeah. It's fine when we're doing our hijinks, but this is like someone's marriage. We can't interfere. Corey comes in and he's like, not only are we going to, he goes to Topanga, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix you, Angela. I'm going to fix you, Sean. Everyone's going to, everyone's going to fall in line. Yep. And then I'm going to take a bath because I've earned it. I force you all to bend to my well. And I do like that. A, they have Topanga be like, Hey, don't make fun of me. You're being an insensitive jerk. Finally, someone calls him out. I love that she's like, I'm over playing along with these games anymore. Correct. Old Topanga may not have said anything, but like, no, I'm calling you out. You're being insensitive. You're not listening to anything I'm saying. You were like, why are you? He says, uh, she said, the only relationship I believed in more than our own is dead. And his response is, turn that frown upside down. Like telling a woman to smile when she's going through a catastrophe. Have we not all not learned? That, well, point. first of all, he did not learn, but you're right. This is very much, why are you not smiling? Yeah. He literally says, turn that frown upside down. And on top of that, he is being insensitive to what she is saying to him because it doesn't fit what he wants. It doesn't fit his narrative. And what's crazy is, you pointed this out last episode, two episodes ago, we open up with him being like, I don't know if we're ready to get married. I, I've been having bad dreams. I'm very nervous. I like the two episodes ago, might as well be four seasons ago, the way that they're writing Corey now. It's 100%. like they don't remember what he said literally months ago. 
they don't give ago. us oh as an audience a reason to not only believe his convictions but to root for him in his pursuit of his dreams like i'm actively rooting against him don't go to pittsburgh yes. don't do that because here's the thing there, again there's a way to make this storyline work if Corey, in the beginning of the season finale of last episode it's like i don't know if we should get married plot point then topanga because topanga at that point in time is like i'm very secure Topanga finds out her parents are separating. At the end of that, we have an opportunity. We don't do this, actually, but we have an opportunity for Corey to get what he wanted, which was he wasn't sure if he wants to get married. Now, guess what? We may not be getting married. That's Take that a great, choice away from him. Great. That's a great thing for us to deal with. I thought I didn't want to get married, but now I actually do. And then season six, sorry, season seven opens up, and he's like, I thought I didn't want to get married, but I know that I do, so I need to fight for this, and I need to make my fiancé's only other relationship that she has to compare. I need to make that work, because if that can work, then we can work. That is what we should have done. Instead, we get this turn at the beginning of season seven where Corey's like, nope, love is a real thing. Not only do I know that 100%, but I will ignore the fact that you had this life-altering, traumatic thing happen to your only family that you know outside of me. Yeah. And every time you try to complain about it, I'm going to say, why aren't you smiling? Where's your smile at? Can I get a little smile? A hundred percent to all of all of that. And the thing that's kind of disappointing is that I feel like they really had an opportunity to make this into a more fun parent trap type of situation but instead they make Corey so annoying and so obnoxious and so entitled that you're not we're not having fun with this even though we could have that yeah. could have been where the humor came from they could have made romance and love really be the main focus but it wasn't romance for the sake of romance it wasn't love for the sake of love it was love for the sake of manipulation of someone else and like i mean i don't want to move too far ahead but at one point sean says something like oh he did all of this for you topanga he did all of this for you and i'm like he's done nothing for topanga at any point all of this has been for himself we're going to come back to that because yeah. if you think I'm going to let that slide, no, we're having a full on, con I may have a whole other podcast for that alone, but anyway, go like, yeah, you're right. So they decide to go to Pittsburgh and I will say again, they give Sean the most minimal of motivation in joining because at first Sean's like, I don't want to go to Pittsburgh and he's really funny on his reasons why. And, yeah. you know, I thought that was a little good. But then Angela and him are not in a good place. So he's like, I'll do anything to get her back. Let's go. Let's believe in love again. No. Sean went from, let's not do this. I don't want to participate. Angela comes in, tells him something she's already told him. And yeah. that was his motivation to be like, oh, okay, now I'll do anything. And I'm like, nothing has changed since last episode for you. But bro. not only that, what's really upsetting to me is Sean then stops doing anything sean is literally there just as a side character yeah he's passive. so passive he's doing nothing and it's really funny because because you and i have been talking to writers and been looking at television and all this other stuff i really like started to enjoy the art of screenwriting and storytelling and all this other stuff and we used to get that in boy meets world and we're not anymore i i, I i'm gonna push back a little bit because i do think that sean serves a central purpose when he goes along with Corey, which is to ask the question wait Corey, 
what what was the reason that they broke up is a question that he poses a few times and i feel like it's a question that Corey isn't considering should sean participate probably more and not be as passive probably but I think he does serve a purpose in the script in terms of presenting Corey with a question that he is not asking, which is what actually happened between the two of them? A hundred percent. But what I'm saying is we don't get that. Like if you were to have Sean be there knowingly and be like, I see this, I see ahead and I see what you're about to learn right now. And I, I don't know how it ends, but I know that you're not asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. And I'm more so here to witness you learn a lesson. I'd be on board with that. But that's yeah. not what they have Sean do. They literally have him there to pose those questions and then literally sit on the sideline. Yeah. He's commentary. And he that's what's that's what's lacking. And like, I'm so sorry for everyone because uh, I know we love these characters. And I think it's because we love these characters that we get so passionate because it's like, there is a way to make this work. You guys aren't allowing these characters to be who we know them to be. He, Sean had a really intense uh, conversation with Eric two episodes ago. And it was a way of him being active and being like, hey, I'm listening to you. I see you. Yeah. And whatever you want to do, I'm here for you. I, this is how I relate to you. Yeah. He can be that exact same way of saying, pulling Corey aside and be like, Corey, I'm going to go on this mission with you, but I want you to really ask yourself, why may they have not broke uh be together in the first place what's going on here but I, and I, I agree with that but i can i tell you what my main problem with sean was this episode what is that we spent what's this episode 22 minutes long 21 minutes long how much time did we spend on this brand new made-up storyline that Jedediah has had beef with Sean since forever? You are introducing new conflict that we need to waste time resolving instead of actually dealing with conflicts that are at play. It seems like a waste. It's a it's a it seems like a a, a poor excuse to bring Sean into the storyline a little bit more. And I also think that the Jedediah that's been established would not have had any of those feelings about Sean at that age. Season three Jedediah would have been bringing like vegan muffins down to the basement for them to like, you know what I mean? It's just yes. not the motivation of the Jedediah we know. And to that point, I think at but both of them are maybe just Corey calls him Mr. Lawrence, just to show you how far we've gone from the Jedediah that was originally established. To your point, I got so upset because I'm looking at this Jedediah and I like his house, his apartment, everything about it doesn't feel like anything that we would have known. Or like there's no like hint of the Jedediah that we would have known, let alone someone who would parent Topanga. Yeah. None of that is there. No one who would name their child Topanga is living within this character. Sure. However, and so I was like, oh, you know, whatever, they moved away. But then we meet new Riri, and guess what? She's wearing like a knitted flow. She's watering plants. It's a little of the hippie lifestyle. And I'm like, oh, so you remember who Topanga's family is supposed to be. However, you some for some reason you stopped Jedediah being that person, even though he was established as that person. Yeah. And then you made 
reread this person, even though we had never met her before, and she can be whoever you want her to be. <laughs> to be to be real with you, I didn't even read Riri as being this kind of throwback, more hippie vibe. I just thought the flower dress was a 90s fashion thing. Like, so, there was the nothing about either of them that felt organically Topanga. Here's the thing. I'm not saying I'm looking for it, but if you look at that, that knitted flow, the very flowy and um, natural uh, atmosphere and setup, it, I'm telling you, it was intentional. Someone it was felt like, like Phoebe from yeah, Friends. But, that, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Phoebe from Friends would be someone more aligned to who we expect Topanga's parents to be. And all I'm saying is Jedediah was established as that kind of quirky person. Sure. And, and, and just, we had I, never met. We had never met Riri. So she could be anybody. Why would you switch it? Yeah. Why? That's it. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to clarify that when I said Phoebe, I meant in the fashion. I Because I do feel like the Phoebe character from Friends would actually be a better representation for Topanga's mom than this one. But one thing I do want to say is that I do like second Riri better than first Riri. Agreed. Nothing against... Uh, Annette O'Toole, who I think is wonderful, but she felt less like see, like the early seeds of Topanga than this Riri did. So I, I, I will say that. I agree because the thing that Marsha Cross brings into it is a confidence and a mm -hmm. self-assurance where she is aware of Corey. She has a history with Corey. And I even believe that history. She is just very steadfast in her stance. And when she says to Corey, are you sure that he wants to see me? He, uh, can I just tell you this? To me, it felt like when the Lawrences finally get together, it feels like two actors meeting each other for the first time. <laughs> I It feels like no one bothered to even catch them up on the finale of season six, and they just threw both of them into this episode. There's no chemistry. There's no, I don't even feel tension. Like that, Jedediah arrives and he's like, oh, oh, hey, what's up? And I'm just like... I, I get that you're trying to write this awkward, but what it actually comes across as is two people with zero history filming a scene that requires immense amount of history to be present. And so that's the thing that for me, I had a really hard time getting on board with. I I, I didn't notice that, but I when I reflect on it, I don't think you're wrong. I think that I I love their individual performances, but again, as a fan of the show, I'm constantly asking myself, did anyone in the writer's room remember who we're talking about? Yeah. Or remember why these characters are here. Like, they don't bring up Topanga. Only once do we bring up Topanga, and that is to ask Corey to lie. And I will be coming back to that as well. Can, but can that I... is the only time we oh. bring up Topanga, and everything else, the conversations is centered around, why is Corey, why are you doing this? Corey um love doesn't last sometimes Corey. i'm talking to you as if you are my child and not the fiance of my daughter yeah i i was just gonna say my my main problem with these uh conversations that Corey is having is that he's incredibly disrespectful to both of these people who are going through a divorce like he has no sensitivity to jedediah making fun of his living situation he's clearly in the life transition right now like shit on him while he's fucking down Corey. um and then he just keeps like doing this thing where he repeats his question like a damn parrot over yeah. and over again until he gets the answer he wants which i think is kind of manipulative like i think it's kind of like i i I think it's just one of the more toxic traits he has is that 
And he feels like, well, love is on my side. So anything I do is justifiable because I'm on the right side of love. And it's like, uh, I like someone needs to check this dude. And even both of these adults are kind of skirting around doing it. Well, what you said, which I really do like, is um, Corey is straight up manipulative lately. And that's what I think is rubbing the audience the wrong way, is that Corey is not empathetic or sympathetic he's just manipulative and yeah. he's a manipulative to his friends he's manipulative to his fiance he's manipulative to these two people who are going through a divorce and again he lies to them and instead of it being like a fun parent trap thing mm -hmm. he just straight up lies and um Riri's like does he want to see me oh yeah and he goes i wouldn't tell you he did if i didn't believe or if he didn't i would never lie to you and say that he doesn't if he did it and sean just sits there is like oh and you're like wow you she straight up asked you it'd be different if it was implied like oh you yeah. never asked directly she straight up asked you are you sure i am putting my heart on the line I have, you don't know the backstory. See, she, you're judging him. <laughs> you're judging him like he's a normal person, right? <laughs> he has love on his side. <laughs> he can lie. He can bend the rules. He has full agency to manipulate any situation because he is on the right side of love. Dude, were you not watching this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you bring up valid points. I'm just saying <laughs> it is really, really disturbing to see him like look someone in the eyes and lie to them. And then you'd be like, but I'm supposed to be on your side. Yeah, totally. The and, things about the storyline that I do uh, want to call out is he goes to Pangela. And I was like, first of all, did Corey like start the Brangelina thing? <laughs> like the toe of two names. Yeah. I like it. To Pangela was to good. Uh, but uh, I just, I, I want to call that out, but he was. Oh, I was just going to say, you had asked like about him bringing up Topanga and I, I was just reading my notes and I don't think he even brings Topanga up to Jedediah until he says, oh, like you, like he doesn't bring her up to the parents until he's like, by the way, I'm here because I want something. Your daughter doesn't believe in love anymore. And that's kind of affecting my life. No big deal. That's not like right. the main reason I'm here, but it's kind of the main reason I'm here. Again, we know, like, again, the audience knows that these are Topanga's parents, even though it's the first time that we're meeting yeah. them. But there's no real emphasis on Topanga. None of them go, oh, Corey, where's Topanga? Like, again, a throwaway line of, like, is Topanga parking the car? Is she here? Yeah. Like, why are you here and not her? None of that is asked. And when you don't do that, it just makes the entire thing feel less real and connected because yes you're telling me that these people have a history but the reason that they have a history isn't even acknowledged again until the end when riri goes to Corey and says hey you just found out that jedediah is a cheater don't yeah. tell my daughter because i don't want her to think of her father differently Ooh. and i'm like again so you are protecting the father even though in this show you see it worthy enough of cutting off your relationship with him. Yeah. You don't want her to think differently of her father, even though last, again, two two episodes ago, we met a man who was very unlike the 
Jedediah we had met previously. So it was already like the seeds were planted for her to think differently about her father and her not wanting to marry because her father cheated and she no longer trusts men. Great storyline. Yeah. But instead, you give a newlywed advice to lie to his fiance and hold on to that secret. Well, can I just say that I felt sympathy for Riri's character at that moment because I'm sure she's like, Corey's the last motherfucker I would ever want to trust with this information, but he shoehorned his way into this situation to where he found out some shit he wasn't supposed to find out. So now I have to ask you, the guy who I know has the biggest mouth in the world, to stay silent about this. And I just felt that, like, I was like, man, I would never want to trust Corey with the secret. We saw what he did with Sean's poetry book. Like, this guy doesn't respect boundaries. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, it turns out that so far, he hasn't spilled the beans on this, but it's just looming. It's it's gonna happen. Of course. Happen. But what, what I'm saying is, and I agree with you, I'm saying I want that. I want <clears throat> Rihanna to be like, are you happy? Yeah. Now you know something you weren't supposed to know. And now you have to keep that secret. Like, I want Rihanna to be like, oh, not only did you lie to me, Corey, but now you know something and you have to carry the secret that I've been carrying. Oh, can I also say that uh, in real life, if Corey were to ever convince this couple to get back in the same room together, there's no way these two adults are like, maybe our daughter's friends from high school should also be present while we have this very serious conversation. <laughs> it's like, no, we're going to have our own like little sit down and maybe we'll alert you on it, but it's really none of your business. Thank you. Get out of my house. Also, they do this for the, they do it for the setup and for the surprise. But again, this show has started telling instead of showing yeah and what you do in that episode how you make the storyline work is Corey says everything that he's saying rion says everything that she says and then jedediah shows up with marie mm. that's how you do that reveal can that's I, how you let it be known can i tell you what i really wanted what i wanted um uh it's just be this thing of just like yeah he he fell in love with someone else and then, like, who did you fall in love with? And he says the name, and it's Lauren. Obviously <laughs> not the same Lauren, but just the thing to show Corey that, like, oh, maybe I do understand the, like, the bendiness of, like, how love can, like, fall apart a little bit better because this is calling back to my own. Like, I just feel like if there was just some connective tissue, it would have been far more satisfying. I love that. The idea of her being, like, he met some girl at a ski lodge. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, like, like. Just mirror in the fucking face, bro. Yes. Because guess what? Then you put it in, you nailed it. You put it in a way that Corey understands, Corey can reflect on. And Corey not only understands the position that everyone's in, he understands why Jedediah did what he did. He understands why. Just like he tried to keep that information from Topanga, he now needs to keep this information from Topanga. Mm -hmm. And you actually bring so much more reflection and depth to the situation if if we do a little bit of reflecting. Just give us a little bit of running. nuance. Uh, uh, just nuance. Because what they're doing is painting Corey as this, like, naive, incredibly naive, love conquers all, fairy tales, love always works out guy. And it's like, your best friend is Sean Hunter. Like, like how, 
so <laughs> delusional into thinking that love never dies. Like, I just can't believe that this is the hill you're trying to die on. Like, there could be other things that we're focusing on other than the lesson that maybe love dies sometimes. I just don't think that that's the lesson where it could just be like, hey, love is complicated. Sometimes Correct. you can love people and still hurt them. Sometimes you can make mistakes that you can't bounce back from. Like, there's other things we can focus on here other than thinking that he is this 13-year-old kid still who, who believes that love is just going to conquer everything. And I just, I'm, I don't think that that he's, I think he's smarter than that. I want to believe Corey's smarter than that. Well, here's the thing. I'm not going to lie. I think that there's a large percentage of people to this day who feel like love is overwhelming and constantly passionate and you will always do any and everything for someone. And they don't see it as what we talked about, selfless, empathetic, um, downtimes, sometimes betrayal. Like love is complex, as you yeah. said. Love doesn't necessarily die, but sometimes you've made a move so far that the love isn't enough. Yeah. That is a great lesson to learn. If you, if what you had said is, hey, uh, like, sorry, like you had said, hey, there's still love here, but I'm with Marie now or something like that, where we can see the love and we can see that these people do in fact love each other. However, Jedediah has gone too far. Yeah. It's already like, that's a great lesson for Corey to learn. And especially, I will not let this go. The idea of you bringing it back to Lauren, I think is so brilliant because it actually does bring stakes in for Corey. Mm -hmm. Where Corey is like, oh, not well, only was I close to doing this myself, but now I have something to look out for in my upcoming marriage. A hundred percent. And I do want to say that like Riri even goes as far as like she says, um, like, how did you ever stop? Corey says, how did you ever stop loving each other? And she almost stops herself from saying like, I never stopped loving him. And I wish she would have just said like, it's not about love dying, Corey. Correct. Sometimes there are bigger things than love. That Correct. should have been the lesson from all of this clusterfuck of an episode. Absolutely. Um, last little thing I want to say about this. Well, two more things. One is uh, the kind of like throwaway line of Sean making out with Topanga. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, did that happen? But like, then they quickly take it back. And I was like, no, give me, give me that conflict. Like, something yeah. was allowed to have a history. And like, I feel like someone threw it out there as like a thing. And then they're like, no, 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 we can't do that. Topanga's virginal. She would have never. And it's like, why not? Sean yeah. was the hottest thing with them growing up. And also, we we've seen her having crushes on Eric. So, so she's allowed to be. You know, like, it's allowed to have, like, this little secret. Whatever. She's allowed to have a hoe face. Exactly. To make a dessert. <laughs> but uh, also, we get back to the school. And Topanga, rightfully, is like, you went to Pittsburgh? You yeah. interfered with my parents' marriage? Mm -hmm. What is wrong with you? And Sean goes, hey, hey. First of all, he actually touches Topanga. And I was like, nah. Nah. Well, he never but... <laughs> got called out for pushing Angela, so. Exactly. But he touches the finger and says, hey, back off. He did this for back you. Off. Be appreciative. And he was, I was good. Like, he was he good. Was and good. I was like, uh, no, was he? he? Or no, was he, he just annoying? <laughs> like he... No, he wasn't. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and then immediately they have Topanga be like, you violated my parents' privacy for me? That's so sweet. <laughs> it was not for you, Topanga. Sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, but like again, like let's even put that aside. She's justifiably angry that he went and violated her parent, like not even her privacy, her parents, her family's right to privacy. Yeah. And she rightfully had a problem with that. And Sean goes, no, he did it for you. He did it for love. And then Topanga backs down and was like, oh, I know it was for love. My well, bad. <laughs> can I say something about that? I My interpretation of that when Topanga did the switch of like, wait, he was good. Like, I, I want to know more. I don't think in any way had to do with like, oh, I'm so proud of Corey. I'm appreciative of his actions. It's like, wait, are there developments in my parents' relationship that I should know about? I am clearly still grieving this. And when she was talking to Corey, it felt like, wow, there's so much grief here. And I just like, in this moment, I'm like, man, if Corey had just been emotionally available for this girl when she was going through like the biggest like life transition that she's had to deal with so far, I just feel like, not only would we be actively rooting for them to get back together, but like it it would give Topanga incentive to be like, you know what? Yeah, baby love does die, but clearly his love for me doesn't or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I get what you're saying because if we were able to, but here's the thing, the fact that I didn't get what you were talking about, it's kind of the problem. Yeah. Like this idea of you being like, wait, Topanga, wants to know but see i saw it a little bit differently i saw it as to make it already on some level new mm. oh whatever happened with my parents is irreparable you know like i thought if i'm being honest i i would love like i totally want to rewrite this entire story arc but what i would have loved is if topanga had learned about her father's infidelity and didn't yeah already knew about it and I like the idea of him being like, hey, I don't think your parents are going to get back together. And her saying, yeah, I don't either. It it says to me that she knew on some level she has an understanding. That and if she knew them. and it had anything to do with the ski lodge or a woman named Lauren, that could have <laughs> been the thing to be like, Corey, like that could have brought it back home to her. That could have been another incentive to just be like, you know what? This, this incident is reminding me too much of my own relationship. I need to take a step back. But there is no aha moment of like her finding out. There's All she just thinks is that her parents broke up for no reason, which doesn't motivate her character to really be making the choices. That's kind of my main problem. Yeah. This isn't about like, they didn't break up because they learned that love dies. Yeah. You know what I mean? To me, it should have been like, their relationship, according to season six, up until the finale, they were both planning this wedding. They were both excited. They were both seemingly in love with each other. Their love for each other never died. So why is this the lesson that is the central focus to for them to learn that love can die sometimes? I I understand. Like, I'm getting it. Like, I understand it. Like, it's fine. I'm with the episode. I'm with the storyline that they're trying to tell us. But to me, it just feels like, you know, uh, this idea that uh, love, uh, sometimes love dies is a good lesson. But it's not the one I think these characters needed to learn. I think well, it's here's the thing. I actually do think it's a, a, a lesson they needed to learn because Corey wasn't sure if he wanted to get married. So the idea of Corey kind of taking his love that's for like Topanga. losing love that's not love dying because one of them did something to the other if one person had done something the wrong the other and then this happened then that could be a connective tissue but i don't see that connective tissue that you're talking about well no all all i was going to say is that 
Corey starts last season, all of season six, being like, I don't know if I want to get married. I don't know what, what does marriage mean, all this other stuff. And then Topanga's like, I'm secure. I've made my decision. This is what I want to do. And then her example of love is challenged, which makes her, who was the rock, now question everything. And Corey having to learn that, oh, if I don't nurture my relationship, it can fall apart. And the love that I just took for granted, i.e. Topanga's undying dedication to our marriage, will not always be there. That's a pretty good lesson. I, I get it. And I I, I understand like that's all of they, that. I get it. I'm with you in the fact that like it makes sense for them to do, but they did not do it. Like, yeah. the, like just simply put, the problem that you and I are having is that we are being shown these things, but there's no connective tissue. And mm-hmm. not only is there no connective tissue, like with the actors, with like the storylines, but like there's no connective tissue in, hey, this guy who was insecure about getting married is no, may no longer be engaged. This yeah. woman who was 100% planning for a wedding three episodes ago is no longer engaged. You know, like yeah. like all of these things. Sean, who looks to Corey and Topanga as the one beacon of hope that love can last, is now happy. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Having that be challenged. Angela, who has always had a problem with commitment, is having her fears confirmed with the fall of Corey and Topanga. So those things are all there for us to find, but they're not there on paper. None yeah. of it connects and so the motivations feel flat so correct correct that's that's what it is uh are you ready to move on to the b storyline yeah yeah i do want to talk about the b storyline of for course a few reasons. one is that this felt very much like the one with the embryos uh the friends episode where the boys challenged the girl for the apartment so much so that i needed to look up and see what the one with the embryo embryos the friends episode aired on january 15th 1998 this aired october 1st 1999 next so year this is a hundred in my mind this is a hundred percent influenced by it yeah and they felt like a need to bring in that kind because the one with the embryos is one of the most popular episodes in all of friends history yeah and it felt like someone saw so, that and misunderstood what made it great. 
A hundred percent. And to kind of talk about this for some of our younger audiences or those who are not familiar, the one with the embryos, the episode of Friends that he's just referencing, is an episode of Friends in which um, Chandler and Joey compete in a game with Monica and Rachel to see who will get the bigger apartment. The, the, right. They live across the hall from each other. The boys have a smaller apartment that's kind of falling apart. The girls have a nice apartment that's bigger. And so they do this trivia game and whoever wins the game gets the big apartment. And it was a very famous episode. You learned a lot of history about the character and also there was a really beautiful side story about Phoebe getting pregnant. So there was a lot going on that made the episode really lovable and the fan favorite. And I can see, now that you bring it up, I can definitely see the DNA of that within this episode. Yeah, thank you so much. But the problem with this storyline is we don't have any reasonable reason for competition. As someone has pointed out, and as we have talked about, this is Jack's apartment. Jack bought this apartment. Jack found this apartment. Jack and Eric had this apartment years before Rachel showed up. Rachel's claim to this apartment is brand new and arguable at best. And if, if this was a competition between Jack and Rachel even, and like they were able to like tag team someone in, like I'd be fine with it because now it's between two people who, again, arguably have right to the apartment. But that's not what we do. We do a boys against girls, and the boys lived here first, and it's their apartment, and chances are their names is on the lease. So how do the girls have any claim to this place? I'm going elsewhere. Honestly, I just I if I could just start here. I don't understand why this is such a conflict. Because like you, like we said, where there were issues with connective tissue uh, uh, throughout, like, how are the boys the joke of the campus for graciously allowing three women to live together? Like, how is everyone making fun of them? Why are they feeling motivated to now fight these girls for this place when they were the good guys, really, in the scenario for allowing them to take over the lease? and and. I mean, I don't know how much into the lease they even got into this. Leases are never brought up. It's television, whatever. (laughs) But um, it just seems like an odd thing that, like, Feeney was like, oh, yeah, everyone knows. You guys are the the campus joke. And I was like, this makes no sense. This doesn't track. Also, what's even weirder is when we open up on this storyline, we open up with Jack and Eric in a bedroom. Whose bedroom is this? Yeah, is that supposed to be Topanga and Angela's dorm? Because it doesn't look like the dorm that they were in before. Well, no, because they moved out of the dorm. They moved out of the dorm. Whose stuff is that? Whose stuff is that? Where are we? Give me a frame of reference. Are you even apartment hunting? What is this? Did you have a friend who said you can stay in their dorm? Give me a line of dialogue to explain why you are in a room with someone else's stuff. Because it feels like this whole thing was set up for this Backstreet Boys joke, which I feel like is, okay, fine, it's funny, but you're putting these characters in a nonsense situation for seemingly just the sake of a joke. Yeah. We're going to come back to that Backstreet Boys moment, of course. (laughs) But no, I'm with you. Is this Morgan's room? Like, where are we? I need a frame of reference to see how far they've fallen. Because the thing is, if you want, like, again, I'm sorry to go back, but it's storytelling 101. If someone has fallen from grace and they are fighting for their way back to the top of the mountain, I need to know where they fall into. I need to have a frame of reference. Is this down the hall? Is this a different building? Is this Morgan's room? Are they looking at different apartments? Like, 
I like what is is this all they can afford? If you would have given me any kind of frame of reference, this scene would make sense. But I don't know why they're in some little girl's bedroom. I don't. Oh, I I, I don't think they were in the girls' little girls' bedroom. I thought they were in the college girls' dorm room. But his point being is they're in someone else's room, yeah. and we don't know who that person and, is. And you know what's <laughs> here's the thing is that like, hey, if you want to build a boys against girls rivalry, like. There's, we can do that. Like, I'm down to play that game with you, but just, like, why are we rushing for yes. it to go to a full physical fight in episode two? Like, give me some time for this conflict to build up. Like, this can be a fun thing that we do this season. It gives Jack and Eric something to do. It just, it. I don't know. I just feel like if you really wanted to build a rivalry, you could have done it a lot slower. You could have shown us the how far they went. To the point where they were getting kicked out of the Feeney's car, let's say. And now they're yeah. like, now what do we do? And then that's the motivation. It's like, man, I'm sick of living like this. Instead of everyone's making fun of us for being nice to girls. Oh, my God. A scene where they just... A scene where we see them trying to take their stuff to Feeney's car and Feeney <laughs> being like, I changed the locks or something like yeah. that. That the, Now we're getting references to part one, mind you. Mm -hmm supposed to be part two and we get references that tie this in together like none of this like it's serialized in a way but it's not because it doesn't seem like you read the script before this one can i say something it feels like there is actually distance between episode one and episode two in terms of filming what i mean by that is Eric's hair is not the same haircut that yes. he had in the last episode. It's a better haircut, mind you. But, like, it seemed like his hair had time to grow out and they had time to do some other stuff with it. Also, if you look at Jack in episode one and Jack in episode two, his body frame is completely different. And we'll talk about that in the Turned On by Hunter moment. But I just want to say that it just feels like there was time and space between when these episodes were filmed. The characters look a little different. And it feels like there's a detachment from all of the storyline that was set up in the first episode of this two-parter. I love that you said that because the moment the episode started, I thought Corey looked drastically different. Yeah. And so I think you're right. I think there was time in between these two. Uh, I don't know how much time, but it does. I like, I immediately was like, whoa, Corey feels like he looks different. Um, so, you know, and maybe there was, but again, your job as a showrunner is to not make me notice those that distance and it's all over this episode because again we keep referring to things that happened yesterday but you would think that they've happened years ago the way that you're talking about what happened yesterday 100 hey do you have any comments on that bsb poster thing before we move okay. on too far from it do i have comments <laughs> on the bsb first of all interesting that it's bsb and not in sync when we know the in sync tie to this show so it's really funny. Well, uh, you know what? I was wondering if this whole thing was an inside joke that tied to the, for those who listen to Pod Meets World, they discuss how the boy cast members would do a little dance to Backstreet Boys before the show. And I was like, oh, is this an inside joke referencing the fact that the boys were doing that for the live performances? Um Maybe that's why that's there, but that's literally the only reason I could think 
for yeah. why it's there. Exactly. And if you're going to do something like that, like be Sabrina, like give us these Backstreet Boys showing up or whatever, like give us something. Why reference Backstreet Boys and federal wrestling together in the same episode in the same plot line is so random. The juxtaposition between Mankind and the Backstreet Boys is so random. It's I a hat on a hat. It's too many hats. It's, it's too it's, many hats. Too many, too much hats. <laughs> too much tuna. Like I don't, I can't. Yeah, it's, it's honestly so. Um, but I love what you said. First of all, again, my this is my Jarek moment. The moment to, to talk about Jarek because, like, the fact that they're in this girl's bedroom, and first of all, they don't seem to have a they don't seem to have a problem sharing a bedroom which I think is really interesting. They only have a problem that it's not enough room. And uh, then- I, It made it seem like they were sharing that bed. That correct. the other bed was taken by someone else. That's what I'm saying. They don't have a problem sharing space. In fact, I love the the, the conversation. We're embracing the, the same sexness of this dynamic, which is Eric being like, we gotta go because the cute one's looking at me. And then they have an entire conversation about who's the cute one. Yeah. Jack chooses mine, Howie. Just wanted to say. <laughs> but then Eric goes, I thought Nick was the cute one. And again, like they're having this conversation. And I I love the embracing of that. It's played as a joke, but also it's played as a joke in a way that Boy Meets World does gay content in the sense that it is a joke, but it's not necessarily punching down it's just oh, no, no. It's i just... thought of it as a as a mirror honestly you're exactly. so concerned about the looks of a picture of a cute boy that you need to leave jack maybe that says more about you but but again that's what i'm saying like this show kind of toys with it in certain ways because jack <laughs> turned on my jack turned on, turned by, on hunter. by hunter Ooh. yeah that hunter jack first of all did they run out of shirts for him? Like all of his shirts. That's what I mean. His body composition so is so different. Because at one point, Eric's like, "Jack, do the arm thing, do the arm thing," and we just have Jack flexing with like those Lawrence brother jeans that he has, and like the muscles are muscling in a way that they weren't muscling an episode prior. But again, his clothes are so tight. Yeah, it's like someone went bought a shirt, put it on him, and said, "No." This is too big. I need smaller. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And it fits, him, it fits him like a grunt. If anyone can pull it off, it's Jack. However, yeah. it's interesting specifically because, again, if you are queer, you understand that we are entering the time of queer as folk. And Jack has a very queer as folk look mm. that's going on to him. And it's right before we get to metrosexual. And it's like Matthew Lawrence is fulfilling these archetypes and he's pulling them off i think it's great this isn't a judgment but it's just like it's there i'm sorry yeah. i'm not reading too much into the text you have him wearing really tight shirts with highlighter hair and you have his most important relationship being this guy who he can't stop being around even sure. though he's a lovable dork and they have conversations about which guy is cuter I'm not silly for thinking of this the way that I'm thinking of it. <laughs> also, okay, let's really talk about this because yeah. you wanted to make uh, Eric's haircut a big deal, but you put it next to Jack who has, I think, the new version of the JTT hair. What yes. I mean by that is that in the early 90s, the bangs, the the curtains, as I like to call them, where the yeah. bangs kind of make yeah. curtains on the forehead, 
was the central heartthrob haircut. But we move into the late 90s and the spiky, almost frosted tip look is starting to take over. And I feel like Jack owns that look in a way that Eric owned the previous look. And so to try to catch Eric up to Jack's haircut, I feel like lessens Eric's hair just by comparison. Also, I'm going to have a really hard time struggling through the season thinking that women aren't attracted to Jack and that Jack is merely stuck with Eric as his only like option for friendship or social life. Yeah. Where there's not like some homoeroticism attached. Like that's the only thing that can explain why Jack is spending all of his time in college with Eric. And again, this is not new territory because the the joke that Chandler Bean comes off gay has already been established. The joke mm-hmm. that people think Jerry Seinfeld is gay has already been established. Not that there's like, anything wrong with that. that exactly. Thing, yeah. Like the idea of this male character who in our show is straight comes off as queer has already been established. Mm-hmm. So you can just do that. But to say no we were not even trying to do that and then we look at the receipts and be like do you want to try again do you want to phone a friend because you're right why is jack that hot that fitted in his clothes and his only relationship that is successful is with eric can can i also isn't dating anyone Can I bring up something? I I don't know if you watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but they actually do something really interesting where they take the two uh, characters, Mac and Dennis, who are like supposedly best friends. And like Mac has this almost like Jack and Eric type of obsession with Dennis throughout the course of the show. And then they they start playing it up more and more that they have a crush on them, crush on them, crush on them, until Mac eventually just comes out as gay. And now that they just accept that and write that into the storyline. And now Mac's just a fully gay character. And I was just like, wow, I obviously Obviously, this show aired far after Boy Meets World's end time, but it's interesting to like see a show actually try to push that storyline, a friend who one of them has a crush on the other and actually, you know, push through with that. So, and, yes, exactly. First of all, I do love, I love that storyline because at first it was played for laughs, but then they were like, hey, there's something here and they didn't shy away from it. And I yeah. think very often with any show, specifically when you um, are dealing with queer content, they're they set it up and you're like no i'm not crazy this like just based on all of the story beats you have given me a couple and it's fine if you don't want to make it a sexual couple if you want to keep it platonic that's fine but don't tell me that it's not a couple yeah you know and that's why that's why i'm Jarek hive and that's why i'm very much just like when we see it i'm gonna point it out and you know what i find to be very queer coded and you could tell me if i'm wrong for this but when there are these characters are even like people in real life guys i know in real life who are very obsessed with looking a certain way, having a certain appearance in front of their male friends, getting the respect of their male friends so much more so than the women in their lives. That like, hey, I'm literally living to impress other men, even though I'm very straight and I love women, I'm not going to actually treat her like a person or actually, you know what I mean? Like all of that feels very queer coded to me. Well, again, this is a whole other conversation (laughs) we do not have time for, but like a lot of people, a lot of the conversation lately has been about how men are homo romantic and heterosexual meaning that they will have sex with women but they prefer their partners be men 
Mm. And it's a whole other thing, as you said, like they're dressing to impress other men. Like they want to connect with other men. And that's who they really aspire to. Um, and that's who they fixate all their time on. And women are things that they have sex with. And I yeah. said things purposely because that's how they see them, not how I believe women should be treated. Um, we went down this rabbit hole and I'm going to pull us back. <laughs> please, please. Really, really quickly. Um, but by the way, I love the conversation that we had. But we have to talk about this fight in the apartment for two reasons. One is, as I said, it reminds me a lot of the one with the embryos. But the one with the embryos actually set it up to where we are going to have a friendly competition that has high stakes. Mm-hmm. But we are all playing for something. There's a winners, there's losers, there's an alternative prize at the end. Like you get this apartment, these people get this apartment. Like it's built within uh, the world itself, i.e., the game is about how well do you know each other. And if yeah. you, as friends, can whoever knows each other better wins. Like they're pro- they're proven to be the better friend. It's a literally it's centered around a fun game that's about how good of friends are we. Friendship is at the core of it. So it makes it fun for the audience to watch and participate in as well. Correct. In contrast, we have these characters who get into a physical altercation. Physical. They, and I was like, you are literally bringing violence in this. But what's even great, I could I could forgive that. If we even did this as a dream episode or something, the idea that, and this brings us to our last roll call, who is um, Mick Mankind Foley. Mick Foley, yeah. um, Mankind. And he comes up and he bursts through the door. Again, this is surreal at this point in time. This man has burst through the apartment door that we're trying to fight for. And we are ruining furniture and fixtures in this apartment. Okay, can we pause for a second? Because I have to talk about the entrance of uh, McFoley into this episode. Um, to me, I was like, I, I know we've passed the jump the shark moment of the series, but like when he comes through and they're like, hey, we need a referee. We need a referee to referee this fight, which by the way, do you? Okay. Um, to have a professional wrestler randomly kick down the door like he's the Kool-Aid man and say like, I'm here, let's wrestle. Just, I, I literally, I just could not get on board. I was like, I cannot. He doesn't say, I'm here, let's wrestle. He says, why am I here? And that, that's your jump the shark moment. Yeah. You don't have a reason for him to be here. If they were like, we need a wrestler. Sorry, if we we need a referee, we let's go find one. And they open the door and mankind is there moving into the apartment next door. That is a little bit surreal in itself, but it still makes it have a reason why he's there. In any other time we've done this, there is a reason. When um when Frankie's father yeah. the, like shows up, there's a reason in universe. When the monkeys all come together, we've given them reasons to be here. Yeah. There is no reason for this wrestler to appear out of nowhere, not know why he's here break the fourth wall mm-hmm. and then we all just move on with our lives as if this surreal thing just happened it's a while yeah. you know the solution 
make his daughter the college roommate that they're in the dorm with. He wants Correct. to get rid of them. And he's, you know what? I'm going to help you guys out with this however I can. Like, that's your solution. Boom. Like, done. Can I, I just want to, I want to rewind a little bit. And I, I feel like this is after Blutman left. We'll have to ask him about this because obviously there's a wrestling connection here. Um, but at this point, 1999, just to kind of paint a picture for those who weren't there, Mankind was actually a very big deal in the wrestling world. He was in WrestleMania, I think, in like 98 or 2000 or somewhere in between there. Um, he was like one of like the major like five to ten wrestlers that were come to mind. And wrestling was at its peak in popularity at this time with Stone Cold and The Rock and everything. So like for this show to be like, hey, we're going to bring in something that's popular in the world right now into our show for a ratings grab during like the premieres season totally makes sense there are so many better ways you could have utilized this character there are so many better ways that you could have done it that didn't distract from the stories that are being told i got really excited right before mankind showed up because they're about to fight and eric looks at uh jack and says Dude, what did Corey do to her when Topanga's like, I have rage? And I was like, oh, are we going to talk about this? Are we going to get into it? It felt like there was, oh, we could have a conversation right now that won't lead to an extreme cartoonish violent scene that will actually address some of the major conflicts at hand. But instead, we enter a Family Guy-esque cartoon cutaway sequence where a professional wrestler randomly shows up, like Robert Goulet or some shit, and like is like, hey, let's... And then they have a fight. The, they have a fight between the five of them. And I'm just... I don't know what we're, where we're at right now with the show. Absolutely. Like, again, we're physically fighting. And to your point, we give Topanga, I will give them credit. Topanga goes, do you know what I'm going through right now? I like that she brought that up. Mm -hmm. But then we have Rachel and Angela participate, and we don't give them any motivation. Nope. And again, it's just a line of dialogue. That's all it takes. And the fact that we don't get that, just it feels disrespectful. I think that that's what it comes down to, is at season seven, feels like you're disrespecting me as a viewer and that is where i'm going to just like i i'm not on board anymore <laughs> you know it's such a shame because i feel like it had to be clear to the cast at this point and to the crew at this point and we can talk to them and see or whatever that by season seven everyone knew that this was the swan song everyone knew like hey this is our last dance you could have done so much to celebrate the history of the show all of the things that we loved about it and turn season seven into like what the actual finale turned into, which was like, there was a two-part finale, and we'll get to there, that does a beautiful job of paying tribute to the entire series. And I'm like, why wasn't the entire season that? Why, if we're going to make Corey and Topanga, like, getting married the, like, central thing, we should make Corey's love for Topanga, the romance, skyrocket beyond everything we've ever seen before. And I don't think we get more romantic than a long walk to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Everything since Long Walk to Pittsburgh has been Corey being entitled and saying, Topanga, you need to do this because I want it. There's never been him wooing her or trying to win her over whatsoever. So, like, I just feel like they had an opportunity to do that this season, and we don't get that at all. We get high jinx on high jinx on the high jinx. Yeah. It's uh, a mess. It's a and, mess. And, like, at first they argued or it hasn't argued that Eric gets dumber or things get silly because like you have the comedic talent that is Eric. No one here is secretly a professional wrestler. So this storyline does not make sense. Like yeah. if, if it was purely Eric, maybe it would make a little bit more sense, but it's not. You have Angela 
throwing Jack, who again we very rarely seen interact with. Now mm-hmm. all of a sudden she's throwing his face in popcorn and sandwiches. Um, Rachel is attacking, like is playing on Jack's uh, inability to violate her, <laughs> even though he is being a little bit demeaning. He is also like, I'm not going to attack you. I had a relationship with you and I don't see you as that way. And then she just fights him. And you're like, why are we doing this? What was the purpose? You know what it feels like? Like, okay, so I I was hearkening back to the big wrestling episode that was in season three with Griff. And like they had the, you know, the big wrestling in school moment where Corey's on the team and they're fighting. I was like, when they were in high school, they really had to take the time to explain how they got from A to Z. Correct. What was going on? Oh, Griff was behind the scenes. He was organizing this big fight. And so when it eventually becomes this big thing with celebrities, you can have like, you know, Yasmin Bleeps show up and it just be like, okay, we're on board because you've as explained enough correct this ep- this show just is like you know what we're not we're not even going to bother doing any of that we're just going to have this shit happen and if people follow it fine like it just doesn't feel like they put the time because like we've pointed out several times a little bit of dialogue tweaks could have made all of this help make sense not right. that the decision to focus on this story should have been the decision that was made period absolutely um, so I have, uh, I want to kind of wrap this up. The last sure, thing sure. That I want to say is, uh, I didn't see it and I want to check before I do. Do they resolve where Eric or Jack are staying after this? Yeah, uh, the, the show ends, uh, the credits, the closing credits, um, are playing as Jack and Eric are back in the dorms room in the, okay. in the girls dorm and they're picking out wallpaper for a dorm. Because okay. you know how college guys change wallpaper every time they move into a dorm. Okay. And then McFoley is their roommate. And he's like, I don't care what wallpaper you pick. You just got to remove that Backstreet Boys poster because the cute one is looking at me. And that's how the show ends. That's how it ends? How did I miss that? I was watching... I am so upset. Sometimes, that I it. sometimes they skip to the next episode without showing the like the end scene. Um, but it was I just feel, one of those things where I, I was just feel... like... this. This is a mess. They're doubling down on a joke that didn't really work for me in the first place. So that was... I feel robbed that I did not see that because that would have helped me a little bit more. But that does, in a way, give us a little bit of context of like where we are. But again, if you had to do it in the tag and I missed the tag, then you didn't do it, really. Mm-hmm. And then also... Okay, so it did. it did at least conclude with where are they now? Okay, I got that. Um, the last thing I was going to say is we kind of talked about it, but we didn't really. Corey lying to Topanga as a way to start off their relationship. Because she asked him, hey, do you have any idea why my parents didn't work? Why it didn't work out? And he goes, no, I don't. And here's the thing. I think in certain ways that could be the right decision to make to honor her mother's wishes. Oh, I I think it was. And I know we could have the conversation about whether or not it's ethical that he lied to Topanga, but in my head, it was like, that wasn't your business to know in the first place. So it's definitely not your business to tell now. All I was going to say is I need that to be the central conflict. Sure, sure, sure. I need you to, I need the show to acknowledge, hey, you're doing a bad thing for a good reason. What does that mean? Is this, is this a good thing? Should I need 
Ooh, the shelter debate. Can I fix it? Can I fix go, it? Go, 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 go. <laughs> we go back to the to the finale of season six, and Topanga's parents are fighting, and Corey then tries to be like, I'm going to fix it here and now. I'm yeah. going to fix it here and now. And then he finds out that Jed was cheating on Riri. And then the reason why now Topanga is like, I can't marry you is because she finds out that he kept that secret. Now we have motivation that's personal. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. First of all, yes, I don't know the rest of the season. You know more than <laughs> I do. But I assume that that's where we're going. I assume at some point in time, you're Topanga. giving the show way too much credit, well, bro. <laughs> we're not even going to come back to this line. Honestly, I, I don't know if they revisit the specific line, but like I, I just feel like Topanga's parents are like hardly even brought up after they're used for this like central story point, and that that's what's is... upsetting. That's why I always was like, why the fuck are they bringing them in to be this major central conflict when they are literally just brought in for conflict and then they disappear again? I this is the last I... we see of them, by the way. I, well, I, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm learning new things because if we just went through all of this and her parents don't even show up to her wedding, I have feelings. If we just went through all of this and the idea that he lied on behalf of her mother never comes back into play, again, I am, I'm, I'm getting at my ropes in with this show because Welcome to my why, life, why set, why set it up? Why, why do that? Why? Like, because, again, the whole point of Boy Meets World is that we are asking the difficult questions. We are challenging the audience as well as our characters to deal with. We had an entire conversation of how season eight was about ethics and whether or not this is the right ethical. Season three, moral, yeah. Or yeah, sorry, season three. The right moral thing to do. And to have Corey keep a family secret from Topanga mm -hmm. in order to spare her hurt feelings because of what her mother asked him to do. That is fantastic television. Let's talk about her finding out and being like, you knew and you kept this from me. Yeah. That, to your point, that is motivation. That's story. That's conflict. But if you never bring it up, I clipped. I, I know I did. I know I did. <laughs> I love it. I'll repeat. If, if we never bring it up again, what are we doing? And if Great we never question. come back to this, even in Girl Meets World, I'm like, what was, like, what is everyone doing? Pencils down, everyone get out. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? If hypothetically, let's just hypothetically say you never you see Topanga's parents again and they never bring up to parent Topanga's parents again until like, other than like, in terms of how Topanga is struggling with it, like they never come back into play at all. How would that make you feel as a Boy Meets World fan, understanding that literally the everything fell apart in season six because of the introduction of these two characters that were only in two episodes? Well, I already felt a way about, I already feel like we could have lost Jedediah. And yeah. like, especially in the end of season six, and it would have worked better. So knowing that this whole central conflict that you have created and is the catalyst, if it never comes into play at all, again, I feel disrespected and I feel like you're playing in my face. That's how I feel. Well, so. we will see. I don't remember exactly. I can't say for sure, but I feel like it's probably closer to that, but we will see. Okay, you guys, it has been a long one. We truly appreciate it. We are going to get into our, uh, like, the end, wrapping it up. 
Uh, bra moment. Do you have a bra moment? Um, my bra moment was Corey going to Pittsburgh. I, I, there's no specific thing. It was kind of all of it for me. I was gonna say, like, for me, it's Sean, Sean specifically going up to Topanga, putting his hands on her. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're I mean, right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna paint him as like a domestic violence person. I'm just saying the idea that he put his hand on her. As she is rightfully being like, you violated my parents' privacy and made it about you. And he goes, hey, back off. You know what's so funny? That's Panga's upset for the same thing Sean said, hey, we shouldn't do because it's going to like upset people. And then it upset people. And Sean was like, hold on a second. And it was like, you knew this was going to happen. It's the reason in season six, he gets tired of Corey. Yeah. He's like, Corey, you don't know what a boundary is. And I can't be around you right now. And you know what? Can we just talk about how much that was a big storyline? How much of a yeah. big motivation it was that, like, Corey was constantly butting into Sean's life where he was like, remember when he signed a restraining order? He had them sign a restraining yeah. order. He was like, I don't want you involved anymore. That was part of his motivation and, like, disappearing for a while. Yeah. And now it just seems like, like I said last time, last week, he has de-evolved as a character. All of the growth that came from him realizing that Corey has toxic tendencies, that he doesn't respect boundaries... He is now like, you know what? I'm just going to be on board with this now because I don't know what else is out there. And it it feels like, again, just, it feels like I want more for this character that I've been supporting for six seasons. I completely agree. And to that point, I will say, you reminded me, even with the Sean and Angela storyline, I was like, what we could have done is establish, because we had that conversation uh, at the end of season six, where he's like, hey, I went off and I left. And I realized that the people here mean that much to me and I don't feel alone when I'm around them. If we had made that Sean's motivation for wanting to get back with Angela, that would make their storyline work. If he actually goes, I came back because I realized how important you are to me. And I don't, we, we don't have to do this alone. This thing called life alone. I would have even liked a return of like season five, uh, Sean, you know, and then there was Sean, I want to get these two back together because they're like the central family I have in my life. Like it's that still makes sense given his journey in season six. And so like now that he's realized that his friends and family are so important to him, he wants to make sure that everyone's friends and family, you know, stay together or some shit like something like that could have worked better. I don't know. Correct. I'm just saying like that, that reminds me. All right. So my, uh, as I said, my moment was that, Feeny lesson, what lesson do you take away from this episode? At one point, Sean says to Corey, hey, Corey, what if we really don't know anything? And I feel like that should have just been the major focus of just like, you know what, we've Corey, you felt so strong-willed that you knew the right way for everyone to live. You knew what was right. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix you. Like, maybe you don't know. Maybe yeah. we don't know anything. And that's trying to tell 40-year-olds how to live their lives is kind of hubris in a lot of ways. Like, I, I just wish that there would have been more focus on that. It is said, but it doesn't seem like that's the main focus of the of the episode. I agree with you because guess what? That's a good thesis statement for season seven. Hey, we still don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. We still have a lot to learn. That is great. If that's the lesson that you make it at the end of this. Yeah. Uh, what grade are you giving this? 
I'll give it a C minus. It was better than last week, but honestly, I'm I'm still like I'm not entertained. That's so funny that you said that. I gave it a C plus. I here's the thing. I gave it a C plus because as chaotic and messed up as the storyline is, I did feel like the beat of starting off with Corey being like, I'm gonna fix everything, and then at the end, Corey being like, Hey sometimes you can't fix everything sean being like sometimes we don't know everything topanga being like yeah i don't think my pants are getting back together like i felt like that all worked i felt like it was balanced and and i really did like the idea of at least i did earlier the idea of annette not annette o'toole marshall cross at this point in time coming in and saying hey don't tell topanga because i thought we were going somewhere with it so if Who we knows? were, if we aren't, I'm gonna still get a C plus, but I have the right to come back and take away that plus if it Who never knows? comes anywhere. <laughs> okay, you guys. Uh, oh, can I say just say one thing about uh, this episode? One of the reasons why I gave it the grade that I did is because I felt that there were points where even Will Friedle and all of his comedic brilliance could not save some of these broader storylines for me. And I know that this season's gonna get really broad with its humor. I I know looking at these episodes coming up there's going to be moments where will like will Friedel is able to make this work and make it shine but i feel like in this episode it was too much for me the the kool-aid man kicked down of the door really pulled me out of it i agree with you i, I zero fights okay uh now on to homework um uh, what homework do you have you know what? I saw the pilot for Shrinking, and I really liked it. Um, okay. Shrinking, done by Bill Lawrence, a former Boy Meets World writer we were talking about I, in our Blutman episode. I love. Um, it has all the joy and the heart of a Bill Lawrence show. I don't know. If you've seen Scrubs, if you've seen Cougar Town, if you've seen Ted Lasso, you know that this guy writes very joyful television and just like starting the show i was just like oh that's right i really like your writing voice i really like the world that you tend to paint it always is, makes me excited to come back it's always like a feel-good vibe and so like i don't know the characters are great obviously I'm, i've just saw one episode so i'm not super into it but I, i've really um gotten excited about going down that road I love it. I have been recommended shrinking by so many people and i don't know why it's one of those things where it's like i think i need to be the right headset sorry the right headspace in order to to do so because can i tell you i i i i don't know why but i'm so nervous of doing it but i've loved everything that bill lawrence has done i take that back those of you who know me know i am not a huge fan of ted lasso but yeah i toxic positivity is a thing whether or not you want to believe it <laughs> but keep going oh i was just gonna say i for whatever reason thought the show was a drama before i i knew that his name was attached to it when i just saw like the billboards and everything but when I found out that it was about a therapist who's just like, you know what? I'm going to break all the conventions of what therapy should be and just be straight with you and actually help you solve this problem in a realistic, hands-on way. And we're just going to keep it between. I was like, oh, I'm kind of on board for that. Like, you're about yeah. to have a psychological break. So, like, in turn, you're, like, trying to prevent other people from doing so. And you're actually helping people. I don't know. Like, when I learned that that's what the show was about, I was like, oh, that's exciting. That's fun. I can get on board with that. Right. Then that's the problem with marketing. Because I didn't know that that's what the show is about. I knew it yeah. had something to do with a therapist. And for some reason, Harrison Ford is there. But, like... Uh, like, for example, I, in the pilot episode, like, he's seeing a guy who has anger issues. And he's only there. And he's like, 
you want to go fight right now? And he takes him to a boxing class and then he just starts, he's like, yeah, beat the shit, like go for it. And so like, it's just really interesting. It, it honestly does end up kind of biting him in the ass, but it was just, I'm down to go down this, this, this road. Like this, I love the way this is set up. I think this is a really fun premise. I think Jason Siegel is really likable in it. Harrison Ford plays like an old curmudgeon therapist who's actually funny. And I love seeing him do comedy. I'm, I'm here for it. All right, I'm good. I'm sold. Yeah, yeah, you motivated me. It's moving up the list. Uh, speaking of feel good, speaking of I want to come back, speaking of good times and joy, uh, I saw Renaissance, the movie by Beyonce, a Beyonce film. And I got to tell you, I not only saw it, I went back and I saw it again. Oh, <laughs> like, and I've seen that. I love that movie. I'm seeing it this weekend. Oh, oh, I, I won't spoil anything. But How was I your was theater a, experience, by the way? Uh, first of all, so the first time I went, I went premiere night, which yeah. I usually do because I love... The thing about going the night of an opening is you get people who are dedicated and they love the movie experience. To That's go on a Thursday going. night. If you're going to a movie on a Thursday night, you want to you want to be the first ones there. Yeah. You want to be the first ones there. You usually get a very enthusiastic crowd. I can always tell whether or not the audience claps at the Nicole Kidman ad. If you are like clapping at the Nicole Kidman ad, I'm like, you came to see movies. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's just my my tell. They make movies but better. I went to go see it. And <laughs> I think I went to because this is LA, I think I went to a showing where like a lot of people either worked or knew the people who mm. worked on the movie because like people were like shouting out different care different people and being like oh so and so blah 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 and like, oh i think everyone here knows but i had a great time it was so much fun um and then did you dress up for it uh i did i did <laughs> and i'll i'll show you what i did later. <laughs> but like uh i had a great time but then i was like i literally told my husband i was like I need a black showing. <laughs> yeah. I need to watch this with more people of color. I need to watch this because, like, as great as should it we was, should we go and fly to Atlanta to watch a watch oh, a show? If you don't think I would, but like, oh, or Houston, that's where I oh, want to watch yeah. a show. But I was like, I need audience participation. I mm. this is so feel good. It's Were you so at, did inviting. you see it at City Walk? I saw it at City Walk when I when I originally saw it. But I say all that to say. Uh, I saw it at a second location with my husband, and this time it was it was what I needed. We okay. had audience participation. We had people filming TikToks, doing little twerks along with the music. We had like everybody jamming and singing, and it was just a very joyous occasion. And I've seen a lot of people on different platforms, uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter. Um, <laughs> I've seen people be like, oh, if y'all doing all that, I don't want any part of it. I'm like, yeah. you don't want a part of joy? You don't want a part of communal laughing and singing? And like, I, I that's all I wanted. Sure. Like, I don't want it for every movie experience, but this movie experience, this was only enhanced by having people who loved and enjoyed themselves as much as you knew she wanted people to do. Oh, so, oh, I'm excited to check it out. Check it out. Renaissance. It's, Renaissance. It's if you, you, just go see it. Also, something that I didn't really get to say, but she's a good filmmaker. Like, that's another thing that's so important sure, yeah. about this. Um, I'll talk about it more later at a different time, but I just want to say, Beyonce is a really good filmmaker, and this is you understand her style, especially if you've seen any of her other documentaries. 
it's so inviting and it's so good. Like I've seen people be like, even if I didn't like her music, I stand this documentary. I feel like one of the things that Beyonce is exceptional at that I I know she gets some like praise for, but I don't think she gets enough praise for is like, I, I feel like what Michael was able to do with music videos, like that's the legacy that's being carried on with Lemonade and Blackest King and I'm sure Renaissance. This idea of like, hey, this is going to be more than just a concert. This is more than just a performance. We really need to tell a story. We need to make this visually compelling and we need to make this something that people are going to remember. I feel like only Beyonce can kind of carry on the torch of Michael Jackson in that way. Absolutely. And and I didn't think of it that way, but I think you're right in the sense that Beyonce has understood if I'm going to put something out, A, I'm Beyonce, so it's going to be an event. So why not make it the event I want it to be? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, that's so great. Okay, uh, you guys, thank you so much. As always, if you are listening to us um, on Spotify or Apple Music or any of the other platforms, thank you. Please follow along. If you are watching us on YouTube, hi, nice to see your face. <laughs> and hopefully you will hit that subscribe button. We absolutely appreciate you guys. Do not forget that we have merch. We, we have got a Patreon. Merch. So check out all of those things. And um, we will see you next week for season seven, episode three, Angela's Men. Yeah, (laughs) Angela's Men. We'll see you then, guys. (laughs) Wait, wait. Oh, you know what? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. You'll find out. You'll find out. (laughs) Okay, you guys, remember to dream. Remember to try. And to do good. Later, bros. Later, bros. This episode of Broadmeets World was produced by Siege and edited by Tony Curtis. Broadmeets World is a two free tokens media production. Ow, ow. Bye. When the spawn meets world.